0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. And I am JP Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great why we think they're awesome, and why you should, too. JP, how are you doing today, man? <laughs> man? I am
0: doing fantastic. As we started this, I pulled out my Wilson headband, my red wristbands, because it's July 1980. And you know what happened in July 1980? Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, 22-minute, 34-point, fourth set tiebreaker, Wow! maybe the greatest Wimbledon ever. Wow. Um and so I'm I'm embracing my inner Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe uh, because the same time this month, July 1980, this song also oh. came out that we're covering. So I'm trying to get in the in the mindset of July 1980 and I'm rocking this headband which Rob is just taking a picture of <laughs> coming at you.
2: We'll post it on um, Instagram. We'll post it
0: later. Um but yeah, Rob tell them what song we're covering. From July 1980.
2: Man, I'm real excited about this one because it's a song that I didn't know. I had never heard the song to my knowledge until JP was like, dude, you want to cover Vienna by Ultravox? And I was like, what is a what now? (laughs) And he was like, take a listen to it. And so I listened to it. Uh, Okay, let me play it for you guys.
0: Let's let you guys listen.
2: And then I'll tell you how I felt. Here we go. It's Vienna by Ultravox. cold air,
3: freezing breath on a window pane, lying and waiting, a man in the dark in a picture frame, so mystic and soulful. Steve. Mm-hmm.
2: Vienna by Ultravox in all of its weird synth pop glory, amazingness. And if y'all like that piano hook, hang around because we've got just that guy. That's
0: right. At the end, Billy Curry, hanging Billy out Curry, with
2: us. founding member of Ultravox, co-writer of this song from the nineteen ninety, uh, excuse me, from the nineteen eighty album Vienna by Ultravox. So the first time JP said, "Listen to this song," I listened to it, and it was kind of a thing where. I think you sort of casually played it for me in the moment. You're like, hey, Google Play, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and um, and I was like, okay, you know. I was Sounds like, like a
0: song that could be in a TV show or yeah, whatever. Just...
2: Yeah, I was like, how am I going to break it to JP that I don't really care about? This? <laughs> and then something happened. Later, weeks later, I think, I listened to it again.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And I think maybe i listened to it in my car really loud uh-huh. or listened to it in headphones or something like that. And it got me. That's awesome. It got me on second listen. <laughs> and then I was like obsessed with it. That's cool. I, I was like, <laughs> this song is – when you take in – so here's what you need to do. If you if we played that and you went, what the crap is this? Uh, where are we going? Okay, Yeah. Uh, it, there's some things about the song that you need to understand that will give it some context that may also help you. Um, but it, if you've never heard this song before, which I think is the case probably for a lot of our uh, U.S.-based North American audience – um, our folks in the UK are like, yeah. <laughs> Why did you wait till this far yeah, in your? Yeah, finally. Pants? <laughs> um, but, um, but 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 a, a lot of our North American folks are probably not familiar with this. Um, but JP is super cultured, and so he knew this song. Um, <laughs> but um, but listen to it somewhere loud, uh, and maybe maybe listen to it after you get in a fight with somebody that you love. <laughs> I think those two things would help. Not that that's what happened to me. I'm just saying.
0: He's not saying go start a fight
2: with somebody you love no, just to no. listen to this song. No, 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 no. But but just feeling a little jilted I think would probably help. <laughs> um but seriously, this this song if you if you take in the whole thing, okay? And we're going to play you bits and pieces of it, but we don't typically play the you know, the whole song. We've only done that once in history and we had specific permission from the artist. Um but um you need to t- take it in and take it in loud, and I think you'll get it, okay? And then we're going to tell you about why it's kind of an achievement and why it's iconic and all this stuff, but it is a great song. And we always say the qualification for a song to be on this podcast is if when you hear it, you turn it up, right? That's what matters. And so that that is exactly the way that you need to listen to this song. This song doesn't matter if it's playing quietly behind you at a party. Mm -hmm. But this song really is super awesome if you let it surround you... And really let it kind of take over, mm-hmm. then you'll get it. Okay, so do me a favor. I like we...
0: that you mentioned in the car too, because it's a great not time driving
2: oh, when you're alone, man. loud street lights. Off. Absolutely, this would be a great montage song. Uh-huh. You know, like like the not a, not an action montage, but a a, thoughtful... a pondering yes. Montage, oh looking man, back on like the... um um, I always think of the the you know there's your like. Stallone Rocky montages which are its punches and its, its sit-ups and running through hard things and then <laughs> the, and then there's like the um the Van Damme Bloodsport yeah. uh, uh montage on the train on the bullet train uh-huh, or whatever yeah. you know what I mean where he's like looking out the window and he sees Chong Lee's reflection uh-huh. and that kind of, that moment is perfect for a song like this right um so this is by Ultravox UK uh synth pop New Wave Legends, Ultravox. Um, It was at number two in the UK for four consecutive weeks. It went number one in Ireland, Netherlands, Belgium, top ten, several other countries. It did not chart in the US. But do we care? (laughs) No, we do not. Because it's awesome. Uh, It won the single of the year at the 1981 Brit Awards. The fifth highest selling single of 1981 in the UK. Okay, so... Regardless of whether our U.S. listeners know this song or not, you got to understand, trust us here, this is a huge song, even if you may not have heard it, okay? It's a seminal uh, synth pop track, huge in the U.K. In fact, in 2013, get this, in 2013, Vienna was voted the U.K.'s favorite number two song of all time. Okay, Um, recognizing the great songs that, for whatever reason, never hit number one in the UK. that's good. All right, so they put out a poll, what is your favorite song that went number two and peaked at number two and never went number one? So we're talking about songs like Strawberry Field Forever, Hound Dog, Wonderwall, okay? (laughs) This was voted the favorite of all those songs ever in the UK. (laughs) That's good company. Yes, and then it was, so after that then but it uh it was awarded an honorary number 1 cool. by the official charts company in the UK okay so that is the kind of thing that we're talking about right now this is the the favorite almost number 1 of all time in the UK and rob has mentioned
0: synth a lot in in his uh descriptions and such this is a synth band mm-hmm. like if you like synth You'll love this. And we talk with Billy a little bit about some of our favorite tracks and things that we like. I want to just dabble a little other Ultravox since I'm a little more deep in Ultravox knowledge yeah. um, in terms of just the band and whatnot. Play a little bit of a couple songs. just so you, I want you to hear a little bit of The Thin Wall um, so you can hear. This is from their album uh, Raging Eden, which is my actual favorite Ultravox album if you're talking albums. This is my favorite track, Vienna is, but The Thin Wall. Okay. So, check this out. This is a little introduction to uh, some synth parts. And then I'll show another one with some more driving bass and synths.
2: Give me my glow stick.
0: kind of the band this is kind of the type of band they are yeah. we played the ballad if you
1: will right, right yeah.
2: yes yes yes
0: so there's that and then play a little bit of one other just that I can let you hear called The Voice um, it's another song by them it's got the driving bass and synths uh, the video has uh, Midge rocking his killer mustache and sideburns mm. this reminds me um, I think of Muse if you're comparing them to another more mm, modern, modern band okay. this reminds me of them stylistically uh, okay so tell Here. me what you guys think
2: so there we go and let's let's talk a little bit about um, synth pop and maybe more accurately new wave Um, it's sort of the the UK new wave is very synth driven um, and was sort of a not an extension of punk rock but sort of an outgrowth of punk rock Um, so as I understand it and UK listeners you can help me help me correct this if I'm wrong um, but as I understand it, a lot of these sort of punk-minded chaps uh, and lasses, lasses—that's not English. Um, uh, anyway, lads and lads and ladies, lads and ladies, yeah, lads and ladies. Um, as they as they sort of not grew out of punk, but as they continued to grow, moved from just the the clangy punk that you think of when you think of like Sex Pistols. Um, you know, into synth. Synth was the next area that some of the punk crowd grew into. And um, and it was new, and it was technology, but the but the mindset and, like, the lyric set... Still the same. ...was still punk, yeah. Um, That's good. And so that was very much what Ultravox was. Um, if you think of bands like... Uh, if you're trying to define, like, sort of what is New Wave, if you think of bands like Talking Heads... Devo, Elvis Costello. A lot of people um, compared them to like the New York Dolls too. Yes, That's New York Dolls it. influential uh, it, it, for them as well. It's sort of like, it's kind of like dorky stuff with punk ideals, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's and it's like do it yourself kind of vibes, um, you know. Um, and so and if you want to reach into the sort of um, influence I- influences sound wise, you might look at like Bowie. Uh, craftwork, I think even uh, Billy Curry talks about craftwork a little bit with us um and so if you go back in ultravox's catalog, their earlier stuff from like before Jure was on vocals when uh, John Fox uh, was on vocals um is very you just think oh they're a punk that's a punk band right um so like let me give you a little bit of some of their earlier stuff and you can hear bits and pieces of what they become um. Uh, in, even in their early stuff, but, like, this is called Rock Rock, and that is R-O-C-K-W-R-O-K um, from the album Ha Ha Ha, which is three haws with exclamation points. I don't really know how to... It's not ha ha ha. It's <laughs> ha ha ha, you know? That's a cool sound. Rock, 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 rock okay it's it's that's punk right now you had some early you know synth stuff in there Um, you know that kind of thing um that song gets pretty lewd by the way if you're you know maybe not want to listen to it with your kids around but um that stuff, and then, uh, which is very punk in the traditional sense, but even at the beginning, you had that cool, cool sense sound. Arr, arr, I can't even do it, but, um, and then you hear kind of the seeds of their future direction in something like uh, a song of theirs on the same album called Hiroshima Mon Amour. Yes, you like that one? I love okay, that song. so here's here's a bit of that one. You gotta think I mean this is in the late 70s you know all this is done the hard way on synths. somehow we
1: drifted off too far communicate like distance
2: Okay, so that's Hiroshima Mon And then I'll, I'll play you one more just because Billy Curry's piano on this is gorgeous. There's a, there's a cool song on that album called Fear in the Western World. Um, and, then, and it's very punk. It's just extremely punk. And then this is the song that follows it. So it comes off of this really heavy punk track. And this is the next track on that album called Distant Smile. This is beautiful piano. So they're they're kind of going all, you know. At this point, it feels to me a little bit like they're a band unsettled in their identity. Mm-hmm. That they f- then later sort of grow fully into their height of their powers as Ultravox, you know what I mean? So that, But all that is from one album. That's from their, yeah, their early album called ha ha ha. Yeah, ha ha ha.
0: I got a ha 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 take in, but okay. let's
2: do it as
0: we meet the band. So let's okay. meet Ultravox. Let's Perfect. play the jingle and meet the band.
2: Let's meet the band.
1: It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band.
0: Let's all meet the band. Let's meet the band.
1: It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the
0: band. Alright, we're gonna meet the band uh, of Ultravox that played on Vienna, the album, um, on drums. I'm gonna start with him because Rob mentioned ha 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 and Hir- Hiroshima Shimon and more or Hiroshima, depending on how you pronounce it. Yep, yep. Um, He was one of the first... Uh, Warren Kahn, Warren to start off, is the drummer. Electronic percussion and mm-hmm. vocals. He was one of the first to actually modify drum machines. Okay. So, like, drum machines were just coming into their into their own, and he was the first to take it and make his own samples and such from drum machines. Um, but not only that, he is a wonderful drummer in and of itself. So he's not just a drum machine. Yeah. He plays live drums very well. If you want to watch, uh, look up Sleepwalk, which is on the Vienna album. Love that song. Let's hear a little bit of that so you can hear that he's actually playing live drums over top. And if you watch the music video, it's actually them playing live and him playing his live stuff. So not lacking in drum and punk drumming, right, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So that's Warren um, on drums. On bass, synth, and backing vocals, crisscross, Cross, not the rap group. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> Although he will make you jump. He jump. will
0: make you jump. Plays a Gibson EB-3 Offender P bass, which a lot of people have. But if you'll look at some of their older stuff, he plays this rare Guild B-301 gorgeous bass. Mm. So you don't hear people a lot of times... Playing a guild, yeah, B three hundred and one. But it, look it up; it's a great looking bass, and those things are pricey now because they're so rare. So, um, so I don't always get to talk on the gear of of the bass player, but I really like the the gear that he uses on that. On guitars, synth, and lead vocals, uh, the aforementioned mid year uh, time within Lizzie in um, Band Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? Um, solo work. So we talk a a lot. Um, we've talked a lot about him in former episodes and
2: um yeah, we've kind of s- mentioned him a little bit i i, I do want to just point this out though yes please that he that he uh, it's not insignificant that he co-wrote uh, everyone's favorite maybe racist christmas song <laughs> do they, they know, know it's, it's christmas, christmas right for band-aid which has sold almost four million copies in the uk alone i actually i meant to bring it i have it on vinyl i That's found awesome. do they know it's christmas on vinyl um but it was the fastest selling single in UK history until Candle in the Wind.
1: Man.
0: Um
2: and the le- and the vocalist on this wrote that. Yeah. Uh worldwide it sold something like 12 million copies and so get this, originally so he co-wrote it with Bob Geldof uh who is who who we know from founding Band Aid and, and Live Aid and other things. Um and um did Geldof he they're right. He did live A too, right? I think. Um yes, 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 yes. Anyway, Geldof's original hope for for do they know it's Christmas was to raise 70,000 British pounds to combat famine in Ethiopia. That was his hope, right? Um by within a year, it had raised eight million pounds Goodness for, gracious. for famine relief in Ethiopia. So I think they He made it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They success. It worked. It, worked. it and it was uh, another reason it's significant, and I want to talk about it, is it was the original charity supergroup single. So, like the, it opened the doors for the We Are the World's and all those other, you know, all those other things. This was the first song with that purpose, okay. and the first, you know, let, let's just get every famous person in the country <laughs> to sing on this, you know. Um, and you know what, Bob Dylan, you can come into and you can just stand here. You don't have to do much, just stand here. But yeah, so that's Midge Uri. Also, Midge. Uh, I just said Midge Uri, Midge Uri, sorry. Um, Midge is, his real name is James, okay? And so then he came to be known as Jim and then just flipped Jim phonetically and became Midge. Midge. <laughs> it's M-I-D-G-E, but phonetically it's just M-I-J. Jim backwards. Yeah, that's yeah. good.
0: I like that. My, uh, my wife crushes on Ed Norton, and for those of y'all that don't know Midge, if you look at his Live Aid 85 video, he looks like... It looks like Ed, it looks like Ed Norton yeah. on lead vocals. Ed,
2: Ed could play Midge in the biopic. In the biopic. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Ed, Ed Norton's the guy. 100%. Does, um, and then on piano, synth, uh, viola, and violin... Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit later, um, as we mentioned. Billy Curry, um, great solo work. Brushwork Girl Blast is good. Um, stuff. Oh, and I didn't mention uh, Connie Plank as the producer. I think we yeah. talked with him a little bit on that, um, but we'll throw him in the section. But hang around. You guys will, will really enjoy Billy.
2: Yep. Uh, a little more about the song itself. Um, it's about a it's sort of a brief romance in, in Vienna, uh, but maybe the most powerful lyric refers to something else. The line in the chorus... Um, uh, it means nothing to me. This means nothing to me. Was originally spoken by vocalist Midgeor about the cinematic orchestration the band was working with while the song was being created. Uh, he he kind of, you know, they were like, New, what do you think about this? And he's like, This means nothing to me. Uh, um, and so, that's the cool. producer Connie Plank said to him, We'll sing that then. Okay, so then he took it and ran and created a story around it, and uh, he said that he really only had the chorus when they went into the studio to track it, um, but he was able to kind of draw some inspiration as the other musicians were tracking their parts. That's cool. So originally, that line was actually about the song. That's awesome. So, which is really cool. I like that. Um, and uh, he said, uh, Midge, Yuri said... Um, we wanted to take the song and make it incredibly pompous in the middle, leaving it very sparse before and after, but finishing with a typically over-the-top classical ending. We haven't talked about the middle section yet, the sure. instrumental section. After the second chorus, it kind of goes into a double time. Double time. Uh, yeah. and, Sped and, up. Yeah, and, and then it does what they would call like a rallentando back into the chorus where it slows back down. Play
0: them a little bit about what
2: you're talking and, about. and Yeah, I'll play it for you. got this little weird instrumental section and so he said they made this intentionally sort of obtuse and pompous um, and then the way that it comes back into the chorus just really makes the chorus sing Billy Curry's Classical Training coming in here I hope that gets you all the way. It gets me. <laughs> I, that really, that really gets me. Um, so yeah, he said they they sort of did all that on purpose. Um, the thing to note about this song, and we talked to to Billy Curry a little bit about this, is that that's not programmed. None of it is programmed. They did all that live. That's amazing. Um, and and even you watch their um their set at Live Aid. They played um they played at Live Aid, uh, and. Uh, They're set, they're recreating this whole thing live. And Billy's switching back and forth from keys to violin and back and forth. Uh, and and Midge is going from just vocals to going to play an additional synth with this big, huge disc drive on it. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome, right? It's all this early... It's everything you love about the 80s. Seriously, they've got these big, you know, racks of synth gear up on stage. Stuff that you can do on your phone now, yeah. you know? Um, but <laughs> it was just... It was very cool. But they, you know, redo the whole thing live, but it's not... None of it... It's it's not hit a button and go. It's which not is a what track. Would, yeah, it's, which is what it would today, be Today,
0: it would be like, let's play the track, yeah. and you'll have... You know the it's, click for those of y'all that are playing along, yeah. and it'll sync up for you. Yeah, but. in the loop, no.
2: It's he's hitting all those boom, 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 all those things. That's an individual drum hit. You know that's that's happening there. So um, really, really cool and really, really interesting to watch them live. How has this not been used in an ad for Vienna sausages? <laughs> That's how I should have started the fantastic. That's where I should have gone with that. In classic I mean, JP, fashion. we're from the south. That's right. We know about oh, some Vienna sausages, know. you know. Um, can you because it's got a the 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 hook is so succinct you can use it in an ad, right? Vienna, yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: that's great. That's all. Awesome.
2: Um, uh, I got a little a little theory okay. on on this because it it's interesting. The verses sound very much like they're in the key of C. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Um. The way the melody is laid out, and you you hear... Let me play a little bit of the verse again. So that's a C right there, okay? Music is weaving. And your bass note. Dun, 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 dun. And his melody just sort of sounds like it's going an F over C. Okay, it sounds plain as day, like we're in C. So he's really gone. dun dun dun. He's really outlining. Then we're going to go to a flat seven chord. Okay? At the end of this line, we're going to go to a B flat chord, which makes you go, wait, you know, wait, are the- we in C? So are we in F and that's so, a five? Exactly. This is what we're about to ask ourselves. So now here's a B flat. Okay? And now we're going to B flat, F, B flat, F. B flat, F. Then watch this. It's going to go B flat, G minor, B flat, land on the F. So that's the one. So the whole part of the verse is over the five. Right, because now Uh, we're going back to C. Right here. So it's this really weird feeling of it makes the, when he lands on, and I think that's maybe why it lands for me, when he lands on, oh, it feels like it's landing on the one because Because of for- the resolution. It's 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 almost like you've forgotten what the old key felt like. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um and then it and then it lands in this spot that's really a new one, uh-huh. a, a new tonic. Um and then they go back to the original and you go, oh right, this was where we were. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's a really unique way to think about it because it's I don't think it is. That the verse is just all over the five chord Uh and he's singing, you know, over the five. So, does that make it a key change for the chorus? I think it really is classified as a key change. Um, that instead of it going to the flat seven at the beginning, the image is gone only. I think really you have to think about it as going to the four of of the the new new key, key. which is the four (laughs) of the original (laughs) key. It's a really interesting,
0: not no, the four of the. Well, if you're calling the original key C, yeah. Oh, F. I see what you mean. So, yeah,
2: so B flat is the four of the four, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're in C, and you're going to the key of F, which is the four of, of C. The original key, but the yeah. four chord of the new key, which is B flat. That's awesome. So it's really, it's a really, um, I don't know, it's a really unique thing because for a minute, when it goes to the B flat, you think, oh. Are we just in B-flat now? Because it takes a minute. You you get, boom, the image is gone on you and I. This means nothing to me. Boom. That's the first time it changes from the B-flat. So then it just starts throwing around. So then it would end on the five of B-flat. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) it's kind of throwing you around, um, uh, melodic not even melodically the the melody is easily followable cordally chord, chordally, it's really kind of throwing you around where you're not sure where you are and then when they land on that oh vienna it's such a release uh-huh. you know good. and then it takes you back to the original key uh it's it really interesting okay i got to get to something that i've been waiting Rob so is, long to talk to you about rob's
0: been teasing with this for a long time so we did this interview A long time ago, and we've been excited to cover this episode. And Rob's like, "I've got something I'm saving for the." So I'm excited to hear what he's about to talk about.
2: I was like, "I was like, have you finished your research on this song?" And you were like, "Yes." And I was like, "Okay." Did you look up? Um, and and I gave just some clue that if he knew what I was talking about, he would have known. Okay. Okay. And and he's like, "No." And I was like, "Thank God! Don't do any more research." Yeah. Okay. So um, okay. So I got. I can't wait to play you this. Hang on. <laughs> okay. So as I said earlier, Vienna was the number 2 song in the UK for four consecutive weeks. The first of those weeks, it was held from the top spot on the charts by John Lennon's song Woman, mm-hmm. okay, which was the single the first single released after John Lennon was murdered. Mm-hmm. Of course that song is going to sure. go number 1. You've got an advantage. It didn't matter what you know what it was. His next song was going number 1. Period. Okay. And then for the next three consecutive weeks, this song, which was voted the number one, number two single of all time, was kept from the number one spot by a song called Shut Up You Face by a guy named Joe Dolce, okay? Okay. I'm going to play you a little bit of Shut Up You Face. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hello, I'm a Giuseppe. I got something special for you. What <laughs> in the world? Uno, two, three, when I was a boy, just a <laughs> grade. Mama used to say, Don't stay out late with the better boys. Always shoot the pool. Giuseppe, you to flunk a school.
0: What in the world? <laughs> John Lithgow ate your heart out. <laughs> got
2: the thing I gotta do. we got to get to the chorus. got to get to no kicks. I've always got to
3: follow rules. Boy, it making me sick just to make the lousy bucks. Got to feel like a fool. And the mama used to say all the time, what's a matter you? Hey, got a no respect. What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's not so bad. It's a nice place. I shut up your face. <laughs> it sounds like Raffy. It does, yeah.
2: <laughs> like, okay, so <laughs> So that's a little bit of Shut Up of You Face by Joe Dolce. <laughs> Um and I, that kind of requires its own investigation, yeah. I think. That song was number one for three consecutive three weeks. weeks and kept Vienna, the all-time favorite number two, from reaching <laughs> number one. Okay, so
0: nothing follows up John Lennon like that.
2: Yes, exactly. So a little bit on Joe Dolce's Shut Up You <laughs> Face. Okay. That if you're looking for it, by the way, I know everybody's rushing to download it right now. That We're is, not gonna do a meet the band <laughs> section on Joe Dolce. That is S-H-A-D-D-U-P. Shut up, you face, okay? Um, American Australian singer slash songwriter singing about. And as an Italian kid imitating his Italian grandmother, okay? Um, Shut Up You Face hit number one in fifteen countries. What in the world? Fifteen countries. Was it, it on a TV show? Why? No, I I I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, uh it's like, what can I think of recently? Maybe like the Pin Pineapple Apple Pen song? Or or even like Gangnam style, yeah, maybe. You yeah, know what I mean? Uh-huh. As far as but not even that, because I think at least gang. Those are
0: intentionally quirky. This one, I don't know if it's
2: intentionally quirky. I, it is because this guy's like a comedian and okay. whatever, but it's like a joke song. It sold six million copies. <laughs> it was number one for eight weeks in Australia. And Joe, we know you're a big listener to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for the support. Joe, we appreciate all the shut up your face. But how in the world? Shut up your face. It's got, it sold six million copies, dude, worldwide.
0: You're like, JP's so cultured. I've never heard or thought. <laughs> Thank or, God. Ad- yeah. Thank
2: God you've never heard of this Good introduction, song. Rob. Thank it you. got. It's got loads oh, man, of cover versions, including a, an unintentional of okay. sort of okay. Okay. spoken okay. word performance by Samuel L. Jackson. Let's Actually, check into this <laughs> just a little bit.
1: What's the here? <laughs> hey! You got no respect? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you do?
2: Why you looking so sad? <laughs> it's not so bad. It's a nicer place. i <laughs> oh, shut up, or you face. The Magnificent. Okay. We've got Samuel L. Jackson's cover. Listen to this. How about hip-hop legend KRS-One? One of the, like, the godfathers (laughs) of hip-hop. He's like, if that guy
0: can make a number one, so can I. Seriously.
2: Going with a little uh, shut-up-your-face as a, a foundational element but this song is called shut up a you face spelled a little differently this is krs one from the album the sneak attack what's so mad you you why you looking so sad so sad hey arrest is back what sad. you don't look so glad I'm I don't glad. understand look at this place why was I chosen to pick up the race and carry the blames it actually makes more sense there you yep. the saying is mainly for fit and the year? everyone cheers. Home you him up. All right, so that's KRS-One with Man. "Shut Up You Your Face." Can you believe I'm? This is literally one of my favorite pieces of research ever. <laughs> this is right up here with with the '64 Impala, uh, you know, r- all that stuff. Uh, this is right up there, dude. The discovery of Joel Dolce's uh, "Joe Dolce's Shut Up You Your Face." So
1: there you go, and Good that fun.
2: It, and that it kept this iconic song from reaching number one for three straight weeks.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, album is on is Vienna.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I really
0: like a song called Passing Strangers. There's a black and white video that resolves to color with Midge and kind of this Charlie Chaplin mustache. Um, I read somebody said Midge won't leave this couple alone for like four minutes. He's like following them around. It's hilarious. But that ties me into I got to go someplace with Vienna. We okay. got to do Stump the Genius. Oh, Vienna style. Okay. We go. All We're right. going to play Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Time to stump the genius. I'll take your part. Okay, those of y'all know, uh, those of y'all may not know, Vienna is the capital of Austria. Sure. Can you name two people from Austria? Can you uh, name one person from Austria? Uh, is it Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. From Austria? Okay, okay, that's the and one. Mozart. Okay. Well there, uh, okay. Falco. Okay. <laughs> okay, right, right, yeah, yeah. so, Okay. So here we go. We got we got Schwarzenegger. So I'm thinking, how can I tie this in to Stump the Genius?
2: Um. Oh, that was. Oh, I thought that was it. No. I thought, okay. Yeah, right.
0: You. You are the genius for knowing that. No. So I'm gonna do these Schwarzenegger quotes. I don't do a good Schwarzenegger. Okay. I'm
2: gonna be honest. I'm gonna. Do, right. I
0: don't. And I want you to tell me. I,
2: I can't imagine that your voice would not it's, transform it's, it's into be a great awful, Schwarzenegger. So
0: disclaimer. But I'm gonna do it. Okay. Um. Are these quotes from the Running Man or not? Okay. Okay. So I'm just gonna say these quotes. Right. I've and, never
2: seen the Running Man. It's okay. So. This will
0: make it even more fun. So these are gonna be. Tell, I'll give you a hint. They're all Schwarzenegger quotes. They're all real. So this is all Schwarzenegger quotes. Okay. Is this from the movie The Running Man? Okay, all okay. right. Okay, here we go. Austria Schwarzenegger. Okay. What a hothead.
2: <laughs> that sounds like, uh, yeah, I'm going to say yeah.
0: That is right. Hey! Running Man. That's after he blows up fireball with his own flamethrower. Wow. Okay. What a hothead. What a hothead.
2: Okay. I'll be back. No, of course not. No. That's that Terminator. is
0: actually from Running Man. No way. And Terminator. And Total Recall. Oh, okay. He throws, so that was kind All of right. a trick question. Okay. There. But that is from the Terminator. Okay. Wow. If it bleeds, we kill it. That sounds like Predator. That is Predator! Oh, yeah. Rob okay, on right. Three for three.
2: I'm not into politics. I'm into survival. Oh, that, mm, <whistles> that sounds like it could be a trick, because it sounds very much like something somebody would might, might say in The Running Man. Um... I'm gonna say yes. Running, man. running
0: man. Oh, Robin's yeah. four for four, man. killing it. And number
2: five, he had to split.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, so I really want that to be from. I really want that to be from Conan the Librarian, <laughs> the Conan the Barbarian parody from Weird Al's UHF. Uh, but I know that's not true. Um, Because he literally splits a dude in half (laughs) with a sword. But I imagine something similar happened in, I'm going to say, Not the Running Man. Oh,
0: you were so close. You were four for five. That is in Running Man as he cuts Buzzsaw in half with his own chainsaw. He had to had to split. Class, that's the best I could do on nice. Austria, on Vienna, on Schwarzenegger.
2: You know, I think I'm pretty actually low on my Schwarzenegger movie knowledge. Okay. I don't think I've just seen a lot. I've seen Kindergarten, Kindergarten cops, Cop, Batman and States Robin. Seen that. But okay. beyond that, I don't really, you know, I, I don't Let's really go some super ice deep on. Mr. Yeah, Free? I know all the Mr. Freeze, you know, freeze in hell and whatever. But uh, what killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> okay, uh worst worst movie mm, probably of my of my childhood for sure. Okay, I think <clears throat> I think I'm about tapped on this. I mean, yeah, I can t- go deeper do. on Joe Dolce if we need to. No, I think we're good on. on Are Joe. Are you sure? I I've got tapped. it. I think we're good yeah. on Joe.
0: The uh, but y'all seriously hang around and hear us talk to Billy about all things Ultravox, all yes. things Billy Curry. It's wonderful. We're going to talk
2: about such a cool dude. Live Aid. He's the first person we've we've interviewed ever that that played at Live Aid. And if I, I guess we should just mention, did we talk about Live Aid in our Queen episode? Maybe, probably that it was yeah. a huge event um and a, and a charity fundraiser all these massive bands and acts and uh, and Queen played you know for the first time re, sort of reunited regrouped at live aid um and it was it was simulcast from both Wembley Stadium um uh, and um I don't know what the stadium was in JFK? Philadelphia it was, was JFK, it JFK, JFK Stadium in Philadelphia um and uh just huge bands on both you know um just i mean Banger after banger after banger all day long so one of the the most um um what do you call it you know just a huge undertaking mm-hmm. uh, and a huge achievement monumental even for live performance you know so and live live broadcast so um you know live aid was was off the chain and Billy's going to tell us all about his experience at Live and Aid. Thank you guys
0: for hanging Ultra out with us. We're uh,
2: we're in the middle of the season. Boom. So, coming at
0: you still got Killing some it. goodies. I so. think
2: this is probably the weirdest song we're covering all season, right? So, yeah. So, if you're with us till now, you're going to be fine for the rest of the season. <laughs> if this didn't drive you off, then you're, you're with us for sure. Um, and if this did drive you off, we'll be back to something a little more normal next week, you know? So um, just just hang with us. If Ultravox wasn't your thing, you know, it, it, it's hard to go back. It, it's hard to go because synthesized music and all the sounds have come so far that it's easy to listen to something like this and and... Miss the achievement of mm-hmm. it, you
0: yeah. know? And what they
2: did at the time is monumental.
0: It really is. I use the word monumental. But yeah. I think 1980, for those of y'all that weren't alive in 1980, like, this is a big deal.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it, and it still sounds really good and sounds really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's this, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is this would be a lot easier to achieve now. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean but they push a couple buttons they did the work to achieve it then and uh, and made a great song out of it so uh, hope you've enjoyed this and uh, we're coming up next with oh by the way sorry one more thing to check out we're not going to listen to it but do make sure and check out there's a great version of this from 2018 with Midge your and a full orchestra it's on YouTube um, and it almost 40 years later it's an incredibly strong song and it's a little more if the synth synthiness of this drove you away, you know, if it was, if if that's what you, you know, if you didn't love that part of it, this is more organic, it's a full orchestra, and it's got some of the, uh, you know... It turns some of the more synth elements into organic elements, and so it's just him with a big old you know thing going after it. And forty years later, still got a strong voice. It's it's in a little bit lower key, um, but he's he crushes it, dude. He crushes it. So check that out. It's on YouTube. Be sure to follow us on all the socials: uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Great Song Pod. You can join the Facebook group Great Songs and the great people who love them greatly. Um, and if you want to go the extra mile and support the show, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Great Song Pod uh, and. And get yourself some early access, some bonus content, a full other weekly bonus show that we that we put on Patreon as a uh, you know reaction pods to catch stuff that we missed or learned over the course of the episode and that that kind of stuff. We're just talking about random stuff. Sometimes we just talk about baseball and whatever you know uh, whatever we had for lunch. It's it's really just uh, a, it's like OnlyFans, but we we keep our clothes on. Um, and uh, yeah. And then you can always go to greatsongpodcast.com. Get yourself all the ar- archives, pick up some merch, whatever it is you want to do, however you want to interact with the show. We're so grateful that you're listening and we're thankful for the people like you who are listening, who are helping the the, uh, the show go farther and farther and achieve more and more in our quest for worldwide podcast dominance. Let's take it now to Billy Curry, keyboardist for Ultravox, and we'll be back. we'll be back in just a minute to say goodbye. This is the Great Song Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with none other than Billy Curry, keys player, songwriter extraordinaire, uh, and he is the, the sound of the synth you hear on the, the smash hit Vienna by Ultravox. Billy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you.
3: Yeah, nice to be here. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent.
2: Joining us from London, uh, we've had some, uh, some technical snafus trying to connect with Billy, so we are just super grateful to finally have you on the line. Uh, thanks again.
0: Cool. Not only a talented musician, but a patient individual. That's oh, right. Thank you, That's... you,
2: get the patience award today. Yes. <laughs> a gentleman. Um, so we have. I, I, I. We really want to talk to you uh, a lot, actually, about live aid, but we're gonna push. <laughs> we're gonna push that off. Um, let's Let's start with. Actually, I think we might want to start with the video yeah, uh, but... for for Vienna. It was one of the sort of early. Um, cinematic, you know, movie type storytelling music videos. Um you guys did the you
0: guys paid for this all as a band by yourself, right? Half shot in in London, half shot in actual Vienna. And I read it was just basically you guys with Nick, your cameraman, right, that recorded all
1: that?
3: Yeah, yeah. We we didn't get any help from that with the record company. And we got the money together ourselves. Although to be honest, I can't remember where it came from. <laughs> but um, we just decided. I know it's weird, but just we just decided to go ahead and and get on and do it. Uh, we were meeting uh, Russell Mulcahy, the the director, and um, you know we weren't getting much help from the record company to release it either. And to be honest, to put myself back in that position, that the, the rest of the guys weren't getting much help from me, uh, because I, I remember turning up at a rehearsal at that time for a gig for some gigs and I was uh, in a pretty bad mood. Uh, I I was overly protective about it because I was hearing about releasing it and because the record company had come up with the usual comment of like, oh, it's too long and all this, (laughs) I sort of gave in, which is kind of weird for me, but I think I'd got a little bit protective about that track and accepted it because it was a strange album, the Vienna album, you know. Mm -hmm. I just saw Vienna as just being another album track but I was kind of probably a little bit more protective on that one because it was very much around my classical background, you know. And it was quite an unusual. Mind you, the other ones were as well, you know. It's a classically orientated rock band. But Mitch and Chris kept going on about, um, you know, we'd already got involved with the new promotion media of uh, medium of video at that time, which was the big thing. Mm-hmm at that time, but we, it was early, so we wanted to get in on it. We'd just done a, a video for Passing Strangers, the single before with Russell Mulcahy, and it was all set to go for the next one, and it just seemed like the right one to do because of all the uh, the visual ideas that you could, could uh, concoct with a track like Vienna, you know. Sure. And being filmic as well, I mean, I was proud of that because I was um, always in, into coming up with so-called, how can you say, filmic melodies, mm-hmm. you know, like working with John Fox. You know, me and him were kind of attuned together with this idea of, uh, you know, uh, filmic, strange uh, film melodies. I've been gone uh, films. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, but it was Mitch and Chris that kept pushing forwards to get it done, and that was good. And through our management at the time, we just kept at them, and so they, when they agreed to to release the uh, the the single, uh, we just got on with it straight away. But you've got to understand at the same time we'd got been given that extra bit of confidence because um, they wouldn't cough up with the money again because they'd just paid quite a lot for the video with with Passing Strangers and that had been a flop. But uh, the reception straight away from the uh, the listeners in in Britain from the radio, which is very tooth and claw radio in Britain, I'm sure it is in America as well. You know? <laughs> sure, but it's very much like you know you can you can be slagged off immediately. And to my amazement, we weren't, and it was like it showed some interest straight away. So that was a something that we were getting carried along with. And like I say, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember where we got the money from, but we didn't get it from the record company. But we got it sorted out, reimbursed later. And while this interest was going on, although it had only charted low, we were off on a, a, we'd organised to start the video. We were recording it in London. It was very quick. And all those incredibly filming (coughs) scenes (coughs) were very down-to-earth experiences, really, because the end where the guy was shot down the stairs, that was the uh, garment in Kilburn a complete dump, which was just about to be pulled down. <laughs> and uh, always I remembered by doing these videos, I was always red-eyed because I was terrible at getting up on a morning. You know, were up at five o'clock, you know. <laughs> and then the rest of it was, coven, some of it was in Covent Garden with the, where it starts with the horse uh-huh. and the three of us and makes, you know, all slow motion, if you can remember that. Yeah. That was just a Covent Garden and, and just a certain bit which lo- does look like classical buildings like in in Vienna and then we're off on a plane to Vienna but there was a lot of it put together before we went to Vienna because obviously when you're in Vienna you've got it all there you know the graveyards got with Brahms there and (laughs) people like that Beethoven Uh, but the party scene I think that was in somewhere like in Knightsbridge and uh, Russell Mulcahy was fantastic and the producer Oh, God, I've forgotten her name now. I haven't seen her for a long time. She moved to LA. I was getting all these people together, the weird twins, little kids to play the violin, some of it which I didn't even know about, you know, which is very (laughs) strange for me because I like to know about everything. So it felt like it was a bit out of my hands sometimes because when it comes to music, I just was fully under control. Not under control, but I knew exactly what was going on. I wouldn't ever let anything past me but here we were there's all sorts of things going on there was julian julian what's his face the director oh what's his name there with the spider
2: yes i would Did
3: the film with um bowie um julian Uh, his last name escapes me as well i'd say yeah uh, uh, yeah absolute beginners <laughs> yeah.
2: did he just draw the short straw on that one to get the spider across the face or uh <laughs> no, it he
3: was, he was russell's boyfriend he just turned up he just wanted something to do you know okay <laughs> uh, uh, he, and to get the spider going across his face was just something else uh, it was uh, it was a great experience you know um, and, and i just remember uh, my acting debut came about because this sort of fat geezer came in Looking like a military bloke from the Habsburg Empire, you know. Uh And Russell says to me, "Say something to him, you know." And I just started sort of ticking him off, you know, in the middle of the party. (laughs) And that was my acting debut, you know. But you know, and I I had the (coughs) the uh, military stuff on because it. it, See, the thing is, it was very visual and strange Vienna, in that the others had uh, a connection straight away other tracks, like Mr. X. We were going for the dark European craft work, the not-to-craft work. Mm-hmm. And with me, that was, I was a fan of, when I was only in my teens at music college, I, I, when I discovered Bella Bartok, Berg, Schoenberg, these composers from the mid-20th century, I was just away with those people, you know. Mm. I wanted to bring them into rock and pop. And so that was that. And then in Uh, um, the first track on on the album, Astrodyne, that was a nod to another thing that was going on in Germany at the time, the more of a band feel, a bit rougher, like Neu and Dussendorf But when it came to Vienna, that was like, hang on a minute, (laughs) what's going on here? (laughs) It was like, it suddenly moved to somewhere different. And, And of course I enjoyed playing Wagner in the orchestra, I like to play um, Elgar and Shostakovich—difficult music, that. But I, it appealed to me because it was advanced, it was sophisticated, mm-hmm. and there was a bit of sophistication crept into this track. I mean, this is just four oaks in a all <laughs> of a rehearsal <laughs> studio in London, you know, near Caledonian Road. You couldn't get more basic, you know. And here <laughs> we are. I'd come in. I'd come back from America in the middle of January 1980 and we'd done two tours of America we chose America to go to because we liked to go it was new for us and the, the audiences felt fresher mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. just saying that this is how it felt and we went there earlier on in the beginning of the year in 1979 with John Fox as well before John left and we just loved it so we thought we'd go the same way it was a very very low budget but it enabled it enabled us to write some music new tracks for the Vienna album with a new lineup and not be looked at through a magnifying glass gotcha. from the British audiences or the European audiences. And so we'd got like, came back in the middle of um, January to London. It was freezing cold and I looked at, listened to the, the cassettes and we'd got like eight tracks together. We'd pretty much got an album, but we had to go in and write a bit more. We needed a bit more. And I remember thinking, well, the one thing we haven't got on here is a, is a ballad, a, a slow track. And Ironically, we would be, we had been playing two ballad tracks over in America from the earlier earlier albums, like Dislocation and uh, uh, Hiroshima One or More, I think. Uh, and with Dislocation, I remember now in places like Milwaukee and Minneapolis, when the vocals had ended, which they were quite short. It was quite a short. A song, we just used to have a jam, basically
2: Uh freeform,
3: you know, and it just went on and on, and it was like it was a jam, but with jam with a difference. It was four, three nutcases with synthesizers, (laughs) and and a nutcase on drum machine just making all sorts of weird sounds. (laughs) It was great. It was great fun, you know. But I, after a while, got onto the back onto the piano again because I tended to feel like we were just a a wall of sound of weird sounds uh-huh. synthesizer sound. So I got back on the piano and came up with this rot- rotating melody. It, it didn't rotate at first, but I just got this melody that and I just rotated round it and it was doo <laughs> so, do so, so while this all this doom you know heavy electronic rhythm was going on, mm-hmm. I was going doo do Yeah, great stuff, you know. But then uh, I I, it stayed in my mind, so I just got this idea. I suggested that it was right the right time to mention to the guys about doing a slow track, which we'd obviously avoided. Ultravox always did slow tracks on every album, even Ha Ha Ha. It's got that slow section after uh, just before distant smile. And so uh, when I went in, I sort of got this idea, and when they heard the tempo. It was like, oh, positive. It was positive, you know, uh-huh. instead of like, um, forget it. Right. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do a slow track because they're so hard. Yeah. yeah they really are. <laughs> and especially with the new lineup. But uh, the, the, the uh, response was positive And I got the, the, um, the feeling for the first verse up and running in about an hour. And uh, I, was, I asked Midge to sort of off speak it. He was just opposite me. I can distinctly remember, kind of try off speak it, and he did a bit. And I and I, I organised the sound in between what he said. And, sorry, not the sound, that melody. Uh-huh. That what happened then was this is what's so strange about Vienna, is that I okay I, I wrote that you know I said to Warren, you know what I mean, don't you? When I mean sparse. Heavy bass drum, yeah, fine. Chris, can you play a high string note? Yeah, sure. And I'm I'm there with a the soft synthesizer sound, you know, with the vibrato. And that's it. It's it started. But then at the at, when we'd got that going, Chris just came in with this ridiculously loud, lower, lower note. We were in C and he came in there with a lower note. I immediately was like, oh, forget not no not a lower note, please. Because <laughs> When we've come out, this is going to be the chorus. Uh-huh. So when we come back to the second verse, it's got to feel like it's got to lift, uh-huh. you know. So a lower note, first of all, I was like, "Oh, where's he going?" You know. Anyway, I followed it. What Chris was doing, and he was just doing that big sort of doom doom. The big big notes, you know, if you remember in yeah. the chorus on the on the mini move, massive sound. It was just next to me, you know. It's like was... God. <laughs> <laughs> and um and you've got to, to put give you an idea of what was what it was like there we could still hear the, the bloody punk band next door while all this was going on <laughs> this is like real cheap rehearsal facilities you know easy it was called just near Calidonia Road it's like being in the 19th century Victorian London you know <laughs> uh, anyway um so he starts that and I, I, I followed him. But again, it became slightly sophisticated because instead of just having B flat F, I started changing it. So I, with the piano, I was moving it along so it didn't get too drawn down, you know, or yep. too heavy. So I started to go in doom, 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 do 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 doom, 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 do 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 doom. Du, 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 du. And then he, he went back to a G, which I would never do. Do But when he went back to G, I was still playing a, a B, B major. So that was a G minor seventh, which is kind of quite sophisticated, yeah. really. You know, and that was, Even when I, I thought, yeah, okay, I'll keep it. Because I could have made it another G minor. But sorry, I'm getting a bit picky now. Right? No, but I love it. I love it. This is what I mean. You know, it's like it has a sophistication, sophistication that... Uh, it suddenly started to feel like it was from the 19th century, you know, late 19th century. And then we dropped dum, 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 boom, a definite F at the end. And I thought, oh, that's very uh, positive, you know. Good resolve. (laughs) Yeah, it really takes it somewhere. I I was surprised how positive it was and and sort of had a question mark there. Why harmonically? And then when we came to the second verse, to repeat the verse again, you know, we were on to a bit of a winner, you know. Uh, it lifted, and I still couldn't quite work out why it lifted. <laughs> and then when we came to the, and I added, added more stuff to you, you know, there's more things in there. Like I put an A minor over the C, so there's a bit of arpeggios, ding, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, do, 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 all those kind of stuff, which I'll just let you know is an influence from Japan at the time. Okay. The Yellow Magic Orchestra, that's okay. where the, the melody came. Okay. octaves because I was playing it with the piano and the synthesizer at the same time okay so we played the the chorus again there's no vocals for the chorus but Midge was doing this off speaking thing so we, we did have unusually had some vocals because Midge never did vocals in the rehearsal studio it was always a case of let's get something nail it and he'd come up with that at home and then mm. do it in the studio rarely would he do it while we were creating this, the song. Interesting. So, so, so anyway, so that's how we got Vienna together,
2: you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry, carry on, yeah. Oh, no, great. Uh, I actually have I have a question about the uh, the, the section in Vienna where, um, you know, it goes instrumental after the second chorus and sort of picks up tempo. It sort of goes in double time. Um yeah. And then at the end of that, uh, it goes back into the chorus, but there's the sort of Roland Tondo uh, yeah. you know, uh, coming back into it. So listening to it and thinking, you know, in terms of like 1980, I'm assuming that means that you guys all played that live with no sort of programming. Is that right?
3: Yeah, no, it was no programming. It was uh, it was he turning the increments on the speed knob on the um, CR-78, yeah. Okay. No, there was no programming. Yeah, you just turned the increments down. He had them set and chalk-marked so you could turn it to here, turn it to there, turn it to there, turn it to there, and then a quick R-tempo back to the chorus. It was all hand-on, you
2: know. Okay, wow, that's really interesting. So oh, it's, weird. it's weird, isn't it? Did that take a, a fair bit of rehearsal then for, for everybody yeah. to feel that and... and
3: Yeah. The thing is, uh, um, I have to point out that because me, Warren and Chris had worked together for about seven years before me joined, you know, when I suggested, because I wrote that section myself, I would hold back from saying that in the past. But now I'm older, so I'll say I wrote it. Okay, Okay. (laughs) There you go. Credit is due. So, So... when I said to, to Warren, I think in the studio, you know, I said, look, I want, yeah, it wasn't in the, in the studio, in Rack, Rack Studio in St. John's Wood, North London, not far from here. I um, I said to him, I want to do uh, a, a Ralantando. <laughs> and uh, he knew what I was talking about because me and him had t- taken the piss out of each other for years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And, right, okay, Bill. And he was just so precise then. He just knew about things. He knew about the CR78. It wasn't out of control. He was doing his head in a bit sometimes because they were unpredictable things, you know, turning knobs and stuff. And, um, and as I said, I also want to do a Ritar and dando, do, do, down into the chorus over a period of two bars. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the... And the uh, Rallon, uh, Rallon, Rallon Tando is two bars as well. So it was okay, it was very precise. And Warren was a good guy to do it with, you know, he was, we'd, we'd work together. So we knew what we were doing. I mean, they were early, still at early stages of this CR78 square box drum machine, but um, he'd already managed to straight away separate the snare from the bass drum which is something he had to do because otherwise, you know, you can imagine it was crazy.
0: Yeah. And if you land that wrong, it's just wrong. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta be like, Warren, we gotta land this like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, that, and, and, and there's a lot of pressure on Warren and he, he, he handled it very well. Uh,
2: I had a, I have a question. I think we want to get into uh, you're the first person I believe that we have interviewed who appeared at Live Aid and so uh, we definitely have to hit on that. We definitely have some things that we want to know. Um, okay, cool. Uh, first of all, just give us your overall memory of, of that day, Wembley Stadium, you know, Live Aid f- packed full of people. Uh, your overall just sort of memories of Live Aid. Um,
3: well, it was just crazy. Um, let me just think now. Of course, it started off with trying to get up on a morning. No, <laughs> <laughs> you guys had a fairly early
2: set, or you guys were in the yeah, yeah. what, the nine a.m. hour? Is that right? Oh yeah, it
3: was. It was. Uh, and no, we. I don't think we. Yeah, we were midday. No, we weren't on that too early. Okay, sorry, I, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Typical, you know. It was because we had to get an helicopter there. Yeah, and we had to get our backsides out of bed early. That you was know, something <laughs> I hated. And, and we were on a helipad down in south of the river, and I remember arriving. And uh, they were saying hello to the drummer of the Who, but it was just the four of us, uh, four of us plus him, the drummer of the Who. Can't remember his name now. He played in the uh, small faces. And anyway, so we would we, rise up. You know, we were coming up there, south of the river, and slowly but surely, looking out of it, you would see the crowds. Yeah. Round Wembley Stadium. This is the old Wembley. You know,
1: uh-huh.
3: it's of course we got the new one in two thousand and five or whatever. And it was just huge. And then we could look inside. So it was just, it was huge. You know, it was like, okay, we've done some things, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) Right. I mean, mean, of course, we were a band, you've got to remember. And we're also finding it difficult because it was all around Mitch. Mm -hmm. He was hugely famous at the time. Yeah. But uh, annoyingly so for him, not quite as famous as Bob Geldof, no joke. <laughs> uh, and, and so we're, we're, this, the four of us, here we go, you know, this is an experience that the band's going through. And it's like, oh, unbelievable. Anyway, we landed down on one of the football pitches nearby, training pitches, just grass, outside. And then we got out of there, camera, cameras clicking and everything, walked a little bit. Uh, Yeah, into the – and then we got some cars, I think, into the the backstage area. It was just crazy. We were led to like a hard rock had been set up in the um, backstage area. There was Bono, there was – Deletes, Freddie Mercury, you know, there was all these people there. And we needed to get something to eat because we were going on quite soon. <laughs> um, I hate going on when I haven't eaten. Okay. You know, down to earth stuff like this, whereas Mitch and Chris could do that. I had to be anchored before I went on stage. All right. right. <laughs> so I'm getting something to eat and there's all this going on. It's just bizarre. I and mean, you could hear the sound of the crowd. Uh, and, um, and, yes, you're, yeah, you're right. We went on quite early-ish. I can't remember when. No, no, I mean, it was about one o'clock. We were near the beginning. But I remember Status Quo starting it up. And, uh, you know, remember how Status Quo started it. Uh, uh, I can't remember what they said now. but um, Yeah, so they got stuck in. And before we knew it, uh, we were round the back. Because we were on the stage. It sounds high-tech, but it was had to rotate round. Really? So, uh, yeah, so bands who were on... Due on had to set up at the back, oh. uh, but not, not guitarists and, and, and but just keyboard players and drummers. Okay. I, I didn't, I hated uh, being backstage, but I, you just have to keep your mouth shut. It was for charity, you know,
1: Right,
3: and, and so I was set up uh, on a on part of the rotating stage that was turning round. And I can remember uh, with my keyboard tech, just getting, making sure that everything was sorted out. Uh, and, you know, you could literally look in at the wires, right, before right. it went on, you know, because I was using some fairly complicated stuff. Ultravox hadn't done a gig for a while, so typical Ultravox, we were trying out new gear at Live Aid, you know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I remember just standing there with Mitch because it was a big moment for him, you know, massive, really. And I remember being at the side of the stage, and and we were looking at the monitor while they were turning the stage round, uh, because while they were turning the stage round, it takes a bit of time, so they were cooked to a, in excess in, Ameri- in in Australia, in excess.
2: Oh yes, yes. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, yeah. So so they have a break uh-huh. from Britain and go to Australia, and I was looking at the monitor with Midge, and and they were about to say now UltraBox, you know, I can remember that. Yeah. And, and and as we were doing that, I remember looking to the side and there were people shouting at us. And the bits that were around the side, it was so full, were about what you would be playing up to, against uh, in Amersmith Apollo. There's about 4,000 people just at the side just looking at us. Wow. It was so massive. Do you know what I mean? We're sort of at the edge of the stage now. Just look to one side and there's about 4,000 people watching us, <laughs> you know. That's that couldn't crazy. even see the stage properly, you know. Well, if you <laughs> no, want to, if, if you want
0: to grasp on how many people are out there, one of my favorite shots is actually of Midge's sunglasses on Dancing yeah. with Tears, when you can yes. see Wembley in the reflection. It's like right. that is the best. Everybody talks about, you know, it's Queen's finest moment, first time Zeppelin plates, it's Bonham dod. but my moment is Midge's sunglasses of the crowd. Yeah. Like that's how that I, I take, love that. Taken by
3: the, I think it was in the Times, though. Yeah, it was taken. By the times, it's a great shot. It's an amazing yeah, I mean, of course, there's massive places, especially in America. But, I mean, the old Wembley was pretty impressive. It was a really old place, you know, like something from the early 20th century, you know, a bit of a shed. But when everyone was full and in there, it was just huge. Yeah. I mean, about 90 or 1,000 people. Uh, I noticed uh,
2: in in your in the performance of Vienna itself, not only did you have your your DX seven stacked on top of your piano, uh, you know. Plugged-
3: oh, I'm sorry, I think I've just remembered. It was a Kurzweil. Oh, again. okay. There you go. Well, there we go. Okay. okay there. We-
2: um, and so, sorry. Uh, but but not only that, but then mid-song, you switch over to, is it viola? Is that a, is that a viola that you're yeah, playing on? That? Uh, it's a violin. It's a violin, okay. Um, and so uh, you switch to that, and Midge takes over on some uh, keys out front. Yeah. It, it, but I imagine, it, is there uh, any opportunity to check any of that beforehand? With so many bands going on, did they use that space then where they switched over to NXS for the, for the yeah,
3: live uh- feed? Uh, well, we we were when they went to Excess, our stuff was ready when they went to In Excess. We were just behind while the other band was playing. I can't remember who the other band was, but we could in half hear them. The soundproofing was quite good, actually. You know, we could talk to each other behind the stage uh-huh. and didn't hear them that much. No, but Mitch would be doing what I was doing. He had a, the new emulator, which was absolutely brand new, the first sampler, really. So that was a bit of a... Mind-boggling thing where you're putting in discs. Yeah, the
2: the the the, what we would call the three by five-inch floppy disk. Two of them stacked up together as a hard drive.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so he had that to contend with. But like I say, when they went conveniently went to in excess. I'm not saying they always did that, but it just gives you about a couple of minutes to turn it round. Mm And while they were turning it round, we were ready to go on. We were down at the side. I mean, I can also remember running on (laughs) and thinking, wow, this is the longest run on I've done. (laughs) (laughs) Because not only had I to get to the middle, I had to then divert to the back and get up to where I was playing. You know, it's like by the time I got there and turned round and looked at this audience, bloody hell, and then (laughs) think about what I was supposed to be doing, you know it was
0: something else well my i think my favorite synth part of ultravox uh stuff is the thin wall we've been listened to it a little before i love the synth part on that which is also on which it's on and eden which is my favorite my favorite of y'all's albums um but it's oh, the sound yeah. of that album is completely different that i talk about this with some artists than some of your earlier work it's it's quite a it's a bit of a transition but Really synth-heavy on that? Your solo stuff is fantastic for our listeners. The Brushwork Oblast, I've been... That's perfect music for, like, studying. It's it's fantastic. Shine and overshadowed. It's like classical meets pad smartness. Oh, it's brilliant. So I'd say everybody out there, pick up Brushwork Oblast. It's great. So I love it. Oh, thank
3: you. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so, so, like, you know, the, the chorus of... um uh, the thing wall it's just there's no there's no rhythm in it you know and I remember some of the guys looking at me a bit like
1: mm,
3: yeah but you know that's what we did and, and it was the bass that was doing a lot of you know and of course Warren was excelling ex- himself on the drum machine so you know it was a, just a strange a weird time but then cut from that to having something that had already been half-written so we could let our uh, let rip, and that's what Mitch had written with the voice. So, you know, alternative to that, we were doing the voice where we're a band and we're all playing together, but we hadn't written it properly, you know. So right in the middle of trying to record it, it was really stressful because they were looking at me to write a solo to finish it off, which was fine because that's why I'm in the band <laughs> You know, you've got to, you, you know, when you're, when you're all caught on the hop like that, you've got to come up with it. Right? <laughs> if, you've got a, if you've got a drummer that's just wanting to put his part down, looking at you, looking at you like he wants to take your head off, you know, it's, it's kind of stressful, you know, because I was like, okay, we go to D. Right? <laughs> da, 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 the the solo, this is how stressful, intense it was. I, I like that. That's what it's all about. You've got to kind of get it down on, on tape. And then, duh, 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 duh. okay, then we go in the chorus, but in the different key, whatever, for a, bit, a different fourth above or something. And then it was like, right, we were nearly there. Warren's really getting almost to the point of exploding and wanting <laughs> to get his part down. And we couldn't work out how to get back to the last verse, right, which is just in G. And, and Connie, bless him, goes... Okay, forget it. You just go bum bum and then start. You know? <laughs> total, total, total nothing to do with time signatures or ever. It's just a dot dot boodah. You know, you've suddenly <laughs> got this odd two four bit in. You know, in a four four bar. And I hadn't even got time to analyze it because the other guys could see that I was going to analyze it, and they didn't want that. You know, <laughs> so it was, I was completely ridden over like a, you know. Blasted out of the way, <laughs> yeah. Things, you know, and and that. Um, but it was great, and it worked out out fine. It was a difficult album. The one track after um, the voice, "We Stand Alone," that had been written a little bit by Midge and Chris, and so that we'd got offered a song then. But then I added those other sections, like the intro, the classical-sounding intro, da And also, I put in this sort of um, heavier rock vibe thing, you know, because I know it sounds um, a bit weird, but in my teens, I listened to a lot of psychedelic rock, and I really did like like it. It was coming out of my ears, you know. (laughs) Well, you... you not to mention the acid. No, <laughs> I really liked it. I mean, I was only young then, you know, I was only like 17, 18, when all this stuff like Blue Cheer and Spirit and Jefferson Airplane um, Grateful Dead and stuff like that was, was going on. And so it's influenced from that. So when they were doing this thing, all the... I just brought in this heavy stuff, you know, double in with the the guitar, and and Mitch is great, you know. He just clicked into that straight away, you know, and it was like all of a sudden we were heavy rock band, (laughs) not not really, not really heavy when you start thinking about heavy rock bands proper, you know. But I mean, it was it was a heavier heavier
0: phase for you there. We'll say that. Um, sorry? A, a little bit heavier phase uh, for yeah. you.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was really, when I listen back to it now, I mean, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite cliche in a way, you know, uh, uh, if I uh, uh, criticize it now, I mean, it's just literally um, F minor down to D flat major, you know, so I don't, don't let's get carried away. It's just a cliche rock core progression. <laughs> but, but it was, it was, sorry, it sounds like coming. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm being arrogant or anything. No, 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 not at all. Hey, not you at have all.
0: the knowledge, you have the chops, you can speak on it. It's okay. <laughs> we, we don't
3: mind. Found it, You've got people like Connie, who was older. He's about 10 years older than me. And he knew about stuff as well from psychedelic stuff. So we were getting quite influenced from some psychedelic stuff then. So when we came out of that riff, doom, 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 doom. Do, do 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 put in a bit of a major sound fancy stuff in. Do 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 do. And if you say to me something like, okay, you hold that C, he could do that. Because he was a great guitar player, you mm-hmm. know. And this is the difference, you know, like this, and it was so nice to be in a four-piece. And I'm talking to him who's also singing, you know, that's great. Yeah. So he holds that C, like, hold it, hold it, you know. Um, get some feedback
1: going,
3: <laughs> and then bring it down at the end. Boom! And then what we did was we got. Uh, this is all an idea I got from Steppenwolf. Okay. And Steppenwolf from an album I heard when I was about seventeen or eighteen. So when he come brings it down, we got crisscross Cross. You always get him for the party tricks, you know. <laughs> he, he, he'd go in and he did a scream, a really high Ear! like that. But he was really good at it, you know. And and so we edited that onto the end of the guitar coming down, so it sounds like it's a oh. car screeching to a halt. You know? Wow. Okay. And then we left a gap, and then it goes back into the end choruses, which is like moving from. Um, well, it's moving from a front, it's moving from F minor feel into A major, which is a fairly interesting change. You know? Mm-hmm. So. It goes you know, it feels like wow, you know. Yeah. And and that was good. But I mean with Connie experimentation again, when we mix the end of that, he's he's we're mixing it in the multitracks and he's got a little little quarter inch uh recording of Midge's guitar solo um backwards and, and fading it into the mix live mm. as we fade it out to the end.
1: Cool, That's cool. That's like, great.
3: We were in experimental mode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Time, you know.
0: Well, we've got one last question for you, Billy, and then we'll let you enjoy your day. We know we've taken a, a – I hope we haven't taken too much of your time. You've yeah. been so much fun. Yeah. This is so cool for us. I'm enjoying it. I'm
3: enjoying it. No worries. Good.
0: Well, one question that we ask everybody um, that before we get you off the show, you're on tour either by yourself or with Ultravox or with Tiger Lily, whoever you're with, <laughs> and, you, uh, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice?
3: Gas station? Do um, you get like a candy bar or chips or? I mean, I do like a, a good burger and chips. Okay. okay. All right. Okay.
0: There you go. Gas station, chips, and, and burgers.
3: If, if it's been properly done, the, the, um, the burger's been done with a proper barbecue burn thing. You know, okay. Things. Okay. Okay. There you go. Not, not some awful Burger King vibe. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Burger <laughs> King
0: is not one of our sponsors, so it's okay. You can you can bash on Burger King. we okay. Billy. You've been great. Thanks so much, man. We hope you had a good time. Uh, if you want to tell uh, the listeners where they can find your um, yeah product, what, anything, stuff, you've got, anything, anything you've got,
2: anything uh, you've got coming down coming down the pike, uh, or or that you know, uh, if you want to tell people where they can find your new stuff, if you got a website, anything you want to uh, tell our listeners, go for that.
3: Yes, it's www.billycurry.com.
2: Okay, simple enough. All right, thank you. All the best, and we'll be in touch.
3: Great stuff. Thank you very much. Have Have a great great one. See you. Bye-bye. This is The Great Song
2: Podcast. (laughs) That was Billy Curry, keyboardist and founding member of Ultravox. Such a good time. A good time was had by all. Uh, Go grab your nearest synthesizer and make the weirdest noises you can, you know? Program (laughs) something for And maybe you can have the
0: number two song.
2: Yeah, maybe you can get to number two. And who's going to be the next Joe Dolce (laughs) that keeps an incredibly great song from peaking at number one? Who is that going to be? That's what we
0: learned today.
2: Exactly. So we'll be back next week with another great song. But until then, I'm Rob. I am Joe. Go listen to some music.